This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where qualifying is underway for state and local offices. One surprise on opening day was the announcement from State Senator Tom Lee that he will not be running for anything and is leaving with two years left on his term. He'll tell you why during the Sunrise interview. The governor dismisses calls for a federal investigation into repeated failures of Florida's unemployment compensation system. Ron DeSantis has already ordered his inspector general to look into it, but he says the call for a federal investigation, well, that's partisan politics. The death toll from COVID-19 continues to climb, and Florida's health department reported almost 1,000 new cases Monday, which was actually an improvement. First time in almost a week that the daily number did not exceed 1,000. As the state reopens for business, a South Florida congresswoman is asking the governor what happened to all that money from the feds to trace contacts of COVID-19 victims. The protests against police violence continue in the Sunshine State, and this didn't help. The head of the Fraternal Order of Police in Brevard County is inviting cops involved in violent confrontations with demonstrators in New York and Georgia to come work in Florida, saying, we've got your back. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and check in with two Florida men. One has a problem with children, the other is a problem child. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Tuesday, June 9th. On Monday, the state health department reported nearly 1,000 newly confirmed cases of coronavirus, pushing the state's total to almost 65,000. Now, at some point today, the number of fatalities will pass the 2,800 mark. Monday's total was 2,798. That's 12 more than the day before. We'll talk more about COVID-19 and contact tracing later in the program. Just what we need in the Sunshine State. The Brevard chapter of the Fraternal Order of Police wants to recruit cops from Buffalo and Atlanta who were involved in violent incidents of brutality. Chapter President Bert Gaiman claimed responsibility for the recruitment post on Facebook that read, Hey, Buffalo 57 and Atlanta 6, we are hiring in Florida. Lower taxes, no spineless leadership or dumb mayors rambling on at press conferences. Plus, we got your back. That post has since been deleted, but Gammon defended his union's recruiting efforts as well as the actions of the Buffalo and Atlanta police officers involved in the widely condemned incidents. Some of those officers have been arrested and now face criminal charges. The Fraternal Order of Police is the largest law enforcement union in the country. Critics say the organization is a major obstacle to reform policing and provides legal protection for violent cops. The Democratic leader of the U.S. Senate is asking the feds to investigate Florida's failure to process and pay unemployment claims. In a letter sent Monday to the Inspector General of the U.S. Labor Department, Senate Minority Leader Charles Schumer of New York wrote that Florida's failures stand out, even among other states that have struggled to pay. He wants the Inspector General to figure out if state officials have been properly distributing federal aid for the coronavirus crisis. Now, the CARES Act allotted billions of dollars for states to distribute to unemployed Americans, but Florida has struggled to process more than two million claims. DeSantis was asked about that letter during a press conference in Miami. He replied by asking if the senators demanding the investigation were from the Sunshine State, something he already knew was not true. Florida senators? Right, but there, are they U.S. senators from Florida? Are they U.S. senators from Florida? Okay. <laughs> now let's pause for a moment to enjoy the irony. Could anyone possibly imagine that Florida Senator Rick Scott would demand an investigation into a flawed system that he created? Maybe that's why the governor was laughing. DeSantis himself was criticized Florida's unemployment website, calling it a jalopy that was designed to fail. Last month, he ordered his inspector general to look into the problem. Yet he is dismissing the demand for a federal investigation by claiming that's partisan politics. 
Well, I, I've never heard of partisan politics in Washington, D.C. before. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine that? Look, these guys are very partisan. That's all they're doing. Um, the, no, the state IG investigation is not done. It's going to take time because, you know, this is a procurement process. There was funding. This took place over a number of years. Um, as of now, as of last night, you know, the state's paid over $4.6 billion um, out to claimants, um, close to 1.3 million um, individual claimants. So, you know, we lost a million jobs in April, obviously lost some in March. Uh, so really been able to, um, you know, pick this thing off the mat. We're going to continue to do more. And, um, and I think that that's the right thing to do. So we have um, really an unprecedented amount of employees from other agencies that have been working on this, clearing out, um, you know, if people are caught up in the system, working hard to do that. So we're going to keep doing that. And, um, and it's a very high priority for the administration. More than 1.2 million people have started receiving payments and $4.4 billion has been paid out. But many Floridians have been paid just a fraction of what they're owed. Others are locked out of their accounts or have applications marked pending while the state's website crashes on a regular basis. And state officials have begun limiting the number of people who can actually use it. There has been a spike in COVID-19 cases as Florida tries to get back to business, and Congresswoman Debbie McCarcel Powell is calling on state and local officials to address the lack of contact tracing in Florida. The feds set aside plenty of money so investigators can track down the source of infections, but the Congresswoman says the state's efforts are woefully inadequate. The National Association of County and City Health Officials estimates Florida needs a minimum of 7,275 contact tracers, but Congresswoman McCarcel Powell says the state only has about 1,000 of them. Here we are on a phase two reopening in the state of Florida, and we need to make sure that we continue to do everything in our power to continue to follow these efforts so that these requests that we made and the sacrifices that the community made were not in vain. Because if not, what we're seeing and what I'm very concerned about is that we can see a second spike, which would put these small businesses that are already suffering great economic loss at risk of not coming back, not returning, if we're going to have to ask people to stay at home once again. Public health experts have advised us that without a treatment or vaccine, the most effective way to safely reopen is to have robust testing and contact tracing infrastructure in place. And although we've already seen some improvements in testing all over uh, Florida, we're, Floridians are still calling us and asking us what the requirements are to get tested. They don't have information on where they can go, go get tested. So we need to make sure that we're providing this information. We have very few details on the status of our state's contact tracing workforce. Contact tracers are especially important for our nursing homes, which account for one third of all the Florida deaths here in, in the state. I actually sent a letter to Governor DeSantis I sent him a very specific letter requesting information because at the federal level, we appropriated $492 million for the state of Florida, specifically to support the expansion of testing and to support contact tracing. Models indicate that Florida needs at least 7,000 contract tracers to address the spread of COVID in the state. And unfortunately, the latest reports that we've seen is only that the state has only about a thousand tracers and only 200 tracers here in Miami-Dade County and we are still seeing an increase in cases and we're the epicenter for this virus right here in Miami-Dade. So one of the questions that I had for the governor is where is the money going? When is it going to come down to South Florida? I've asked the, the state also to give us information on who they're partnering with 
which organizations are they partnering with in Miami-Dade County and in Monroe County for testing and for contact tracing. DeSantis and our counties must keep their promises on providing funding and expanding contact tracing. Floridians need to know what the state is doing to keep them safe. They need to know how they're using their taxpayer dollars that Congress appropriated. They need to know not only for their health, but also so that they can begin reopening their businesses with greater peace of mind. Dr. Mary Jo Trepka is an infectious disease epidemiologist at Florida International University. And until there's a vaccine, she says contact tracing is one of the best ways to get a handle on COVID-19. Given that we don't have a vaccine, contact tracing is one of the important tools that we have for controlling COVID-19. COVID-19 is, is a difficult to control disease because a large percentage of people don't have symptoms or they have very mild symptoms. That means that those people can spread the virus to other people without even knowing about it. What contact tracing involves is interviewing people who've been diagnosed with COVID-19 to find out who their contacts are. Those contacts are then tested and told to stay home until either it's been found that they're not infected, they have a negative test, or that they are infected, in which case they need to continue to stay home. So COVID uh, contact tracing is a very important tool for us to control transmission, especially for people who are asymptomatic or have mild symptoms. So again, I'm very glad that there's, there, there's interest in trying to have a very robust program for COVID, uh, for contact tracing in Miami-Dade County. The health department actually uh, approached FIU for assistance with um, contact tracing because it's very, very labor intensive. It requires a lot of resources and the paperwork and, and the, the negotiations related to that are, are nearing completion. So we hope that FIU is gonna be able to help and assist uh, soon with uh, contact tracing. But um, again, this is a very important tool that we have. And of course, the other very important tool is the social distancing. Even though we are in phase one of reopening, we're still having more than uh, about 200 cases a day. And it's still important that people avoid um, congregating in large groups, that they wear masks when they are going to stores, and that everybody cooperates as we um, try to reopen the community as fast as we can. Dr. Eileen Marty is an infectious disease expert at Florida International. She, too, is a big believer in contact tracing. She's also advising anyone who took part in Black Lives Matter protests to get tested for COVID-19, especially if they were tear gassed or pepper sprayed. There is no substitute for co proper contact tracing. If you want to get rid of this outbreak, you must know where the virus is. And that's what uh, Dr. Trepka was explaining, how enormously important it is to know where you've been. And so in light of our very appropriate protests recently, which have brought many people very close together under circumstances where they have to amplify their voice, which yields more particles into the atmosphere, and where uh, there's been coughing and sneezing because of gases that have been used, the risk of this and the challenges to contact tracing become much, much higher. So contact tracing is the mechanism by which several countries have virtually wiped the virus out of their communities. Look at New Zealand, look at 
Iceland, you can see that contact tracing is, but not only incredibly important and vital to getting rid of this virus, it cannot be done in isolation. It has to be done combining those other public health measures that we are already urging everyone to do, which is the social distancing, the use of masks, and hygiene in its most basic forms. By the way, if you're wondering about the construction noise and the music in the background, let's just say that shopping centers are not always the best place to hold a news conference. Next up on the Sunrise interview, a conversation with State Senator Tom Lee of Hillsborough County, who is bailing on politics to become a house husband. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast, and we're much obliged. Florida Hospital Association members are safe, ready, and equipped to care for all Floridians. As our hospitals resume elective procedures, ensuring the safety and well-being of our patients, employees, and communities remains our first priority. Contact your local healthcare provider for information on visitation policies, access restrictions, and how to get needed care safely. Please visit the Florida Hospital Association at fha.org/covid for more information. Welcome back to Sunrise. Our guest today is State Senator Tom Lee of Hillsborough County, who has spent more than 20 years in the legislature. He has two more years left on his Senate seat, but Lee resigned it effective November. On Friday, Senator Lee said he had decided to run for clerk of the court in Hillsborough County, but on Monday he decided to bail on politics altogether. The senator is married to Laurel Lee, the Secretary of State, Florida's chief elections officer, and he's decided to move to Tallahassee and become a full-time house husband and dad, which sounds like a lot more fun than the state legislature like the right time. I, I don't feel like um, the institution was as good a fit for me as it once was. I, you know, sometimes I felt like I was making more headlines than I was with my debates and affecting policy outcomes. And you know, I'm, I'm 58 years old. I came up there, you know, 24 years ago and, and there's been a lot of water under the bridge. My wife is now the Secretary of State. I have a seven-year-old daughter that's in Tallahassee. My son starts at FSU this fall and and it um, seemed like this might be a really good time to uh, be more of a support system to her and, and my family, uh, my kids, and, and uh, spend more time with my daughter, that's all those things. And, and this, so my decision to you know, exit the Senate didn't have really anything to do with this other opportunity that was here locally. That was a separate consideration, and it really involved uh, my wife and I having some conversation about how she saw her future unfolding and, and, uh, if she was not necessarily planning to make her way back here on any reliable timeline, that probably didn't make sense for me to anchor myself to a full-time job back, uh, here at home if the goal was to reunite our family. And it became logistically more difficult for a lot, for both of us when she took this job uh, for the governor. She loved serving him. Uh, she, I think she's doing a good job. She's got you know, what could be one of the most challenging elections in, in history that, uh, that's coming up because of the, all the uncertainty around uh, you know, COVID-19 and what's going to happen two months from, four months from now, primaries and general elections. And so it just seemed like given that she had no clarity and visibility about uh, coming back to the community, it really didn't make any sense for me to qualify, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to drag that out. I wanted to make a decision today uh, before qualifying open, because these other candidates needed to know what the what the um, 
playing field look like as they made decisions this week for, for their own future. So, uh, uh, so that's, that's kind of a long and short of a, of a, of a you know, two-week process. So what's been the most annoying thing that you won't miss about the Senate? I think um, the thing I won't miss about the Senate is, um, I think I referred to it already, it's, it, it's, it's really the, the fact that um, members of the Senate are, are far more compliant than the members I learned under back in the 90s. There was a lot more independent thought. Uh, I, I had many a person walk off the Senate floor, pat me on the back after a heated debate, and say, "You were you were right," and I would just turn to them and say, "Well, then why do you vote with me?" And um, and it's just it, 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 you know, there's a point at which you feel like um, you're not you're not as impactful as you would like to be, and that there are probably better places for you to to serve the people of your community or to give back to society than from a seat in an institution where so much is preordained. And, um, you know, I always said I would, I really appreciated the principled nature of the folks in the House of Representatives. And if it wasn't for my oppositional defiance disorder, I would probably like to serve in the House. Um, but I'm a pretty independent thinker, and I think the data and and the policy ought to drive the outcome of these, the votes. And, you know, so often today it's politics and partisanship, and, I learned to govern at a time when you represented all the people in your district, not just the people that voted for you in the primary. And that's changed. And, it, and in a way, that's not a criticism of elected officials because we've become much more tribal and much more partisan as an electorate. And so today, the key is to get out of the primary. Uh, and then you'll deal with uh, trying to figure out who the lesser of two evils is in the general. And and so knowing that getting out of the primary is the key, and most of these Senate districts, the, the races are won in the primary, people tend to stick pretty close to their base today. And there's not a lot of crossover vote anymore. People, you know, Democrats come home in the general election and vote for the Democrat. Republicans come home and vote for the Republican. And it's a fight over the independent, which is a growing um part of the electorate, practice growing part of the electorate for those reasons. And and so, uh, you know, it's understandable that elected officials have become more strapped to the base of their political party uh, because so too have their constituents. And that's just not an environment where I think you do the best, the best public policy. So is the next phase for Tom Lee house husband? Bad boy. I'm calling <laughs> a bad boy. I'm, I'm bad boy to the secretary to the to the prettiest secretary of state in Florida history. Um, so yeah, no, I, I, I don't really have a plan. I, I, I know there's opportunities to, you know, people have called me about uh, various things and they're, they're not, you know, serious, um, conversations in any way, shape or form. I, I really mean it when I say, I just, I don't think that, you know, um, I want to, do anything that would require that I engage with the legislature or, or what have you. That's just not how I see myself. Um, I frankly don't think it's, it's um, all that becoming of a former legislator to, to go out and make that his or her life, but I know that's all too frequent. I've been to enough organizational sessions and enough um, uh, presiding officer designations to uh, see who's invited back and 
you know, rooms full of former legislative lobbyists, and and I just don't see myself being one of those. But um, but there are a lot of ways to give back, and and uh, uh, I'm just going to have to see. I, you know, I'm blessed in the in that I don't really have to have that next thing lined up. My wife has a lot more runway in her career than I do, and she's the complete package. And so, if I could support her and in, in 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 her service to the governor, that might be the best thing for me to do right now. And and uh, but I, I you know not, I would I would be lying if I didn't told you that she wasn't a little concerned about me spending a lot more time in Tallahassee uh, with um, without something. Uh, to do, but um, but between my real estate things I have going on back in Hillsborough County and some of the old friends I have in Tallahassee, I, I'll probably have plenty of things that uh, to fill my time, and so I'm not too concerned about that piece. We'll just have to uh, see how it all evolves. However it evolves, Tom Lee will be sorely missed because honesty is a rare commodity in modern-day politics. Yeah, he can be a bit of a curmudgeon, but isn't that the point when you have a platform? Now that he'll have some free time, I'm hoping to convince Lee to become a beekeeper, and he says his seven-year-old daughter would probably love that. Over the past ten years, I've discovered one of the joys of beekeeping is watching all those tiny critters working together to build their colony and provide for the next generation of honeybees. They don't stab each other in the back for profit or sport, so it's a welcome change from politics. Your calendar of events starts at 9 a.m. with the Suwannee River Water Management District Governing Board, or meeting online. So is the Florida Gulf Coast University Board of Trustees, also at 9. The Department of Transportation is holding a webinar at 9.30 about a project to extend the Suncoast Parkway. The Public Service Commission holds a regular meeting at 9.30. The St. John's River Water Management Governing Board meets at 10. The South Florida Water Management District holds an online workshop at 10 about water reservation rules for the Kissimmee River and Chain of Lakes. The Space Florida Board of Directors meets by conference call at 1, and Acting U.S. Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf continues his visit in South Florida by going to Port Everglades, where he will tour a U.S. Coast Guard cutter. Finally, it's time for the continuing adventures of Florida Man and his understudy, Florida Boy. A Florida man who works as a cop has been placed on administrative leave after being accused of lewd and lascivious conduct involving a minor. James Kaminsky is a canine officer who has spent 17 years at the North Palm Beach Police Department. The alleged victim is between the ages of 12 and 15. And a 15-year-old Florida boy is arrested after crashing a stolen car into a truck in Bonita Springs. And not just any truck. This was a grouper trooper in his official state vehicle. The wildlife officer was not injured in the collision, and the kid drove away, but he didn't get far. The highway patrol charged him with hit and run, driving without a license, and careless driving. That's it for Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.